You're listening to Women Heard, presented by New York Women in Communications. I'm your host, Julie hockheiser Ilkovich. Today's episode features a conversation with Marissa Thalberg, Executive Vice President, Chief Brand and Marketing Officer at Lowe's. Marissa is also a 2021 Matrix Award winner. You may notice that this interview is a little different than some of our other episodes. That's because it's a chat Marissa and I had last year when I was interviewing her for the Matrix Awards Journal. This wasn't supposed to be a podcast episode, but Marissa's insights and advice were so amazing that we wanted our audience to hear them all. We are so excited to share this interview with you. This episode includes Marissa's experiences with and advice about career changes, taking risks, challenges for women in the workplace, and so much more. She also talked about being a working mom and starting the organization Executive Moms. This conversation was particularly meaningful to me because I was pregnant with my second child when we had it and have welcomed my daughter as we are sharing this with you. Marissa's experiences and thoughts on being a working mom really resonated with me and I'm excited for all working moms or future working moms to hear them as well. Please note that this conversation was recorded towards the end of last year when we were at a different point in the pandemic. So some of the pandemic-related topics we discuss have most definitely shifted since this interview. As we continue to relaunch the Women Heard podcast, I am thrilled to share meaningful conversations with incredible women with our audience. To learn more about our newly rebranded podcast, please visit nywiki.org podcast. That's nywiki.org podcast. We'd love for you to subscribe as well as rate and review the show on your favorite podcast platforms. A very special thank you to Marissa for taking the time to chat with us and letting us share this conversation with you all. Enjoy this episode and thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Marissa Thalberg and I'm the Executive Vice President, Chief Brand and Marketing Officer of Lowe's. You've successfully managed to change industries in your career three times while moving to different states in the process. How have you navigated those incredible moves, both professionally and personally? Well, arguably, I changed careers more than three times or changed industries, but the last three are what you're referring to, and those were um, were just some people radically different in that I went from luxury beauty, um, where I spent the last, uh, the final eight years in luxury beauty at the Estee Lauder companies, and then became the CMO of Taco Bell. So that was funny to people, you know, luxury beauty to tacos. And it was a little funny to me too. For, uh, frankly, the harder a personal uh, adjustment was relocating my family from our lifelong home of New York City to Southern California, which gets into the whole executive mom story, which I can also talk about my other uh, sort of side career through many years. And then, you know, capping that off, I went from Taco Bell to big box home improvement retail and relocated from Southern California to Charlotte, North Carolina. So sometimes my life is is unrecognizable to me. Um, but you know, I've I've learned how much um, how much excitement and wonder that can be in making it an adventure and challenging yourself personally and professionally, stretching your boundaries. And you know what I always say is it's very easy for people to look at those experiences or those scenarios and see the disconnects, what's different about them. And I think it's more interesting and a lot more fun to find the common threads. 
And I think that's enabled me to be able to apply lateral thinking in a very successful way. You know, I wouldn't have been able to achieve what I've thus far achieved at Lowe's, what I did achieve at Taco Bell without being surrounded by people in those companies that had the institutional knowledge that were incredible partners. But it becomes an incredible alchemy when you take those kinds of people and then mix in someone who has come with a totally different outsider perspective, but the inherent skills to think about how you plug into our human needs and wants and the culture and the zeitgeist and business. And you put that all together. And that's what great marketers and great storytellers and great communicators do. And that for me is the ultimate common thread across my work across all of these different experiences. Beautiful. You were one of the first marketing executives to found a group dedicated specifically to working mothers. How has being a working mom impacted your role as a leader in your profession? And what have you learned from other working moms along the way? There's so much to say on that topic. And it's clearly one that remains a huge part of my personal passion from founding Executive Moms almost 20 years ago, which is wild, um, navigating both real careers and motherhood. And um, I really just looked to join something soon after I became a mom for the first time and really shocked and disappointed by the lack of options then. Enough people goaded me on when I kept asking and talking about this that I just knew that what I wanted it to be was executive moms because that duality of being like a serious executive but being a warm and friendly mom, you know, it wasn't about working mother, it was about executive and mom. And I like the vibrancy and the duality that that encompassed. And to be really unabashedly proud and sort of integrated with those two things. So that's, that's what I knew I wanted executive moms to be. The funny thing was it was a lot of things ahead of its time. And I don't say that all in a good way. Sometimes timing is everything, but it was content curation before anyone knew it was events, it was community, it was so. um, But what it really gave me was an unbelievable lens and a platform to speaking with a certain level of authenticity to women like myself who didn't want to be pandered to, didn't want you know, really reductive, like how to do your life better in five steps, really just were actually doing quite well, but needed a sense of connection, occasionally a little commiseration, support, community. And so um, I learned a lot. I learned a lot from doing executive moms for many years on top of my corporate career. And I also sought to debunk some of what I think are still these really unfair stereotypes when you think about how working moms are portrayed in the media. And here we are all creators of the media, but we haven't necessarily done the best job in depicting fresh, modern, real, inspirational examples of, you know, many of the women that have won Matrix Awards and are watching uh, and listening to this podcast. So for me, that's incredibly important. And there's no question that in some very practical ways and then in some just influential ways. Uh, Being a mom and starting Executive Moms, of course, influenced um, my career and how I've, I've grown as a leader. I think that with time and age and experience and the benefits of motherhood, I've become a, you know, maternal in, in I think, a, in a, a good way as a leader. That sounds like a word you'd never associate to work. But what I mean by that is 
I'm not afraid to show that I'm caring. I'm not afraid to be um, empathetic. I, um, I think it's important to be vulnerable at times, to be sincere, to be funny and human and all those qualities that were never a part of uh, traditional archetypes of leadership. And I do mean our traditional archetypes, frankly, being male archetypes of leadership. And so I think, you know, being able to be a demanding leader and push for excellence, but also bring those I think they're humanistic traits, but they're also a little bit maternal traits into how I lead. I, you know, maybe it's not for everyone, but more than not, I think it's actually created an incredibly close bond and a sense of trust with the people um, that I lead. And I'll tell you something else, because I've really thought about this in a profession that really needs creativity creative people more than anything need to feel trust in order to try in order to take risks. And I think of myself and in the environments where I've taken the greatest risks and generally had the highest rewards is when I felt that I had some safety to try. So it all is very interconnected. The one additional thing I'll say is I really believe that a, a privilege and responsibility for women who are moms in leadership roles is to demonstrate that that doesn't sit in some separate box, never to be exposed to um, your work life um, as a mother, because there's an, um, obviously emerging generations of women who want to know that it is possible. And I'm not going to be trite and say, have it all. I'm not going to say balance, but just possible to feel really accomplished in a career and also have a wonderful, fulfilling life as a parent, as a wife. Um, whatever else that uh, the totality of your non-work life entails. And so I think I've gotten more um, deliberate and less fearful with age and experience of bringing my family, you know, infusing like little snapshots of them into my work life. And in turn, because work comes home with me too. Anyone who says they shut it off, I don't know how that's that's real based on how tethered we all are to our devices and it never stops. So at least it should be a little bit of a two-way street. That was amazing. I actually was wondering if also you could just have in your own words, like what Executive Moms is. So I founded Executive Moms not too long after I became a mother for the first time. And I was living in New York. I was then head of global advertising for Unilever Cosmetics International, all the Calvin Klein fragrances and, and many more designer licenses. Um, so I had a, an exciting career, but I was newly navigating motherhood. And I will never forget, I attended um, this new mother's luncheon in New York City. Remember, this is pre-social media. This is in the year, like, let's just say early 2001. Uh, and here I am in New York City and everyone had to go around and, and offer the following, their name, their baby's name, what street on the Upper West Side, which was my neighborhood on which they lived and whether or not they were going back to work. So just stop and consider that beyond name and baby's name and street, the only other important self-identifier was whether or not you were going back to work. That in and of itself, we can unpack for a bit. 
But maybe it was the luck of the draw of the group I had. All these women going around the table are saying they're not going back to work. And I'm thinking, okay, first of all, this is New York City. How are you all paying the mortgage? You all just, I mean, that feels a little dated. Secondly, don't you want to still have a career? So I was in that new, naive mother kind of way, uh, worried, worried that I would feel isolated, my little baby Hannah would have no friends because we were, wouldn't be doing play dates Tuesdays in the middle of the day. And of course, that changed quickly as I went back to work and got my sea legs, if you will. But I really, really was surprised and disappointed by the lack of, you know, immediate community that I could find. And that's when I uh, started talking to media industry professionals. You know, remember my job was head of advertising. So I was asking the publisher editor of Parent Magazine and Child Magazine and all the deals, many of which aren't around anymore. And they all had this universal, we don't know why that doesn't exist, but we don't know of anything you should start it. And soon after um, Executive Moms was was born and you know right out of the gate we had corporate sponsors and a great public speaker because I was used to you know being entertained at professional events so it was 150 people at our first event in a ballroom in New York and and it just sort of took off from there I started writing weekly content um, called Executive Memorandum it was very curated for women like me again no one was talking about curating content but that's instinctively what I felt someone like me wanted was someone talked to me about all the things that interest me. I'm not just interested in parenting. I'm interested in travel, finance, shopping, tips for my kids, the whole suite of things. And so there were all these, I think, just very instinctive, but good ideas that fueled it. And it really took off. Um, and what I quickly realized was the opportunity was to use it as a platform for, we did some original research and started just creating at very much at the New York level community in real life, but at a larger national level, a sense of connection online and also trying to change a little bit of the narrative. I mean, this was the era where people were writing about the mommy wars and thank God that seems to have you know, gone away to a large extent. But you know, fast forward almost 20 years later, and particularly now with the impact of COVID and setting back the agenda so much of working moms, I mean, setting it back decades, frankly, you could argue, although I have to confess executive moms has gone a bit dormant in the past few years as, as my own corporate career and, and family needs have just sort of swallowed it a bit. But I did it for, I don't know, 15 years on top of my career. And, and I just feel still so passionately about the need for like-minded women to feel that sense of just um, support and recognition of themselves and other people. Um, we're actually doing better than we think, most likely, but also within corporate agendas, you know, creating the right models and examples in leadership and down of women who are not just fitting some kind of dated mold of what it means to be an executive, but can be their whole selves as multi-dimensional women, mothers, and executives, I think is something that is still a work in progress. That's amazing. I love that story. That's incredible. After reflecting on all your incredible career accomplishments, what advice would you give to your younger self about the road ahead? Oh, I, you know, I have a daughter who's about to graduate from college in a year. And so we've been considering and reflecting as she's sort of taking those first steps into her career in a, in a year and what it means. And I, 
you know, I said, my 20s were very angsty and I don't wish the same for you because I was extremely impatient uh, with myself and um, extremely hard on myself in terms of the expectations I had of, you know, what fulfilling my dreams was supposed to look like, what success was supposed to look like, you know, and I think it's got to be so much worse now where in general, but in addition with our careers, we have the funhouse mirror of social media. And I love social media. Don't get me wrong. I'm slightly addicted to it, but it does create, you know, in, in, in people with, who are naturally ambitious, a sense of uh, unintentional um, benchmarking of ourselves against things we see accurate or not and, and how we might not feel like we're competing effectively. And I really, really thought it was just going to be more of a straight line, even though I wasn't a hundred percent sure where that straight line was going. So, uh, you know, of course I wish that I could have just felt a little bit more confident through the stumbles, through the bets I took that did not work out the way I wanted. I mean, it's so easy from this perspective of this unbelievable recognition to feel like it was all this master plan and it all worked out, but that was not what the experience, uh, experiencing through it all was like. Uh, and so I wish I could tell my younger self that um, and say, consider it all a little bit of an adventure and it all is getting you where you're meant to go. It just won't be a straight line. Does anyone ever know that when they're <laughs> no, working I don't through think it? So. Well, it's, it's tough because we kind of mythologize more and in the tech world has really perpetuated this because there are some unbelievable stories of kid entrepreneurs. And I know some, you know, when that starts to become your benchmark, you can be in your twenties and feel like you're aging and you haven't, I mean, that's just really, really a tough standards. So I think that's sometimes for ambitious people in particular, you know, you, you hear these un unbelievable success stories, entrepreneurialism, and, and it just, um, I, I think it is a little, while, while those stories may be entirely true and entirely inspirational, it can be a little demoralizing for people that choose a more traditional career path that involves working your way up a ladder that involves, uh, you know, phrases that used to be commonplace, like paying your dues. Like, what does that even mean? Well, it means having the humility to learn and to serve in a certain way and to not think that you come out of the gate with all the answers, but that there's a whole lot of growing and developing to do. Um, and it, I really, really get that now um, at this stage of my life differently than I think, uh, you know, I would have gotten it younger, even if intellectually I understood it. I wouldn't have really, really internalized that idea then. Absolutely. I'm glad your daughter is benefiting from um, well, I hope so. your knowledge. <laughs> she's already has a leg up. <laughs> well, see, now she's ambitious enough to probably wonder why I'm not, you know, sending a virtual resume through this podcast, you know, as, as her, you know, recruiting call. But, you know, here's to our next generation of ambitious young women, right? <laughs> I love them. I love them. You've always been a visionary in the digital marketing industry. How do you stay on top of trends and always seem to be one step ahead of the competition? 
Well, first of all, thank you. That's a huge compliment. And of course, I don't, I don't always feel that way. You know, inherent insecurity probably drives me as much as confidence. I think they're really the same coin with two different sides. But um, I'll tell you something. I feel like when I became and you know, a decade ago became known as like a pioneer of digital marketing. I thought it was a little funny, to be honest, because, um, and that just shows why it's important to believe in yourself and also make the leap in ways that sometimes women don't is, you know, when I, when I was approached for create, you know, being the first to create this new role at the Estee Lauder companies, and it was a new function of, of heading, you know, creating basically corporate digital marketing, first executive, a lot of firsts in a company that really had things pretty established the way they were across 30 something brands, wasn't really a corporate marketing function at that point at all. I did not think I was fully qualified. And what I realized again, to my early, maybe, maybe this is to my earlier point about it's easy to see that, you know, the differences, but not to see the commonalities. I started thinking about all the things that actually did make me qualified that all the way back from my Unilever cosmetics days, I mean, back in 1999 and on, I was starting to create digital strategies there and even founding my own digital company with executive moms. And then I was in a an omni-channel retailer before we said omni-channel. So, you know, I, I had to consider that I was maybe as qualified as anyone was and that I was going to learn how to put the pieces together and lead it forward. And so that curiosity and that ability to learn to then teach, I think is one of the biggest things that's helped me subsequently make other changes like we discussed earlier in changing industries is you bring your expertise and you bring your confidence but then you have to bring your humility and recognition that we all have to keep being students especially in this you know incredibly complicated fragmented ever-changing world of of media that of course has been so disrupted by digital technology and social media and so I think that was really what it was, was just, you know, being interested in and willing to kind of stay a step ahead, but then find a way to bring it back in, but in ways that other people actually could understand and could appreciate and not lord that, not lord, um, that knowledge over people in ways that was really off-putting. And so, um, you know, now fast forward to where I am in my career, and I absolutely don't feel like I'm on top or ahead of every single trend because there's just too much to stay on top of. So I think it's just trying to be, um, just trying to connect dots, trying to see things that are happening in culture, keeping my finger on the pulse with how people are feeling, thinking, and having a good um, sixth sense for all of that, and then applying uh, both business intelligence and creativity be a problem solver. That's what it really comes down to more than feeling like I'm necessarily uh, on top of, let alone ahead of every trend. I love it. No, that's great. Tell us about a career accomplishment you are most proud of. Well, in terms of career accomplishments that I'm most proud of, there's two ways I'm going to answer it. And I'm not trying to be pat. It's really how I feel. I mean, there are the things the, the activities of my job that I'm really proud of. Like 
um, just a lot of firsts in marketing back at the Estee Lauder companies. Um, even further back, I can point to some of those things, doing things that no one saw coming, like introducing um, Taco Bell weddings and the Taco Bell hotel and not having them be frivolous, but actually having them be strategic, but really exciting. I mean, coming into Lowe's and realizing this is a brand that needed to, uh, and still needs to, frankly, build more of a sense of, of awareness and relevance that with women, that this is a destination for decor and can, and doing a partnership with New York Fashion Week in the midst of the pandemic. So uh, there's a bunch of things like that that give me, as I often say, happy goosebumps because they just have sat at this great intersection of business and buzz. And those are real sweet spots for me. Um, so they do make me professionally very... Um, and creatively very gratified. But the other thing I, I would say that I'm proudest of is, is building uh, teams of interesting, disparate, talented people in Lowe's. I practically had to do it from the ground up. And, you know, when you start with a team that really needs to be transformed, and then you see people not only accepting you as an outsider, but embracing you and getting on board and feeling that excitement and then and then they're the ones that are bringing the cool ideas forward when that wasn't happening before I mean that is when I'll look back and feel what I'm proud of that's that's the kind of leader sorry that's the kind of legacy as a leader that I I'm most interested in having I love that that's a great that's a great two-prong answer. I also love the um, Taco Bell hotel con concept. <laughs> it's amazing. I have to say I was really proud of that one. <laughs> you should be. I love it. I know it was very, very widely shared, but that is very yes. genius. You started your role at Lowe's in the midst of the pandemic. How did that experience affect you as a leader and what did you learn from it along the way? Well, I learned so many lessons in uh, and, and lessons I had to kind of instill within myself in leadership because as we've discussed, it was already daunting enough to know I was making a radical industry change. I was coming into a corporate context where I wasn't just responsible for changing the marketing but to change marketing in terms of the role it played within Lowe's, the nature of it, the you know respect and, and um, empowerment it had. So all that was already an extremely tall order for transformation. And then three weeks into the role, COVID really hit. And at this point I was still living in California. Of course, the whole executive team is with, with, with the headquarters in Charlotte. I've, I've now since moved there. So, and I knew that part of what I was taking on was, you know, a, a, an organization that needed total transformation. And so here I am, you know, three time zones and close to 3000 miles away. First navigating as we all were, you know, suddenly meeting through, you know, video phone calls, not having had the benefit of months or years of personal relationship building, it was particularly hard in terms of building, you know, that sort of peer relationship at the executive team, because they did have the benefit of still being together, of knowing each other. And I'm the new kid, I'm different, I'm not an insider. And I'm 
literally and figuratively kind of far away. So, um, and at the same time, trying to rally the talent that I did have and the people that I knew were going to get behind it and, and kind of get on this new train and find new people and all of that. Um, I, I realized this, it, I had to process it as a unique leadership challenge. And I had to think about what could I do to try to bridge this digital divide? And sometimes it um, came naturally and other times it didn't and it was hard, but I think over communicating with my team. So perfect example, I think had things um, been the way they had been, I might've done a big department meeting maybe once a month. And I wound up getting on you know, an all hands meeting once a week and for months maintain that. Now I do it every other week. And what I learned is this is a team that had never had that level of communication from senior leadership before. So in some ways it was born out of the pandemic, but in other ways, I do think it set a different level of, of intimacy and connection, ironically, even though I was far away and on video than they might've had from their, you know, from previous experiences. And so I think that's, that's how I, I tried to navigate it. Like we all did, right? But I do think I had a little extra complexity thrown in. I, it's also made me really empathetic for, um, for what the new, new uh, version of this uh, working life we have maybe where some people will be remote and some people might be in person because I was the one person remote when oftentimes the rest of you know my fellow leadership team were in person. So I try to be thoughtful about that and we'll try to be thoughtful about that as you know, our, our working context progresses. That's great. Yeah, no, it's a such a no matter what level of your where you are in your work or career, it's interesting to hear how that all affected you and how it's how it will be moving forward. Are you guys back in the office yet? Well, um, the uh, the officer population of Lowe's as well as some key support staff has been able to access the office all this time. And remember, we're Got a it. retailer. So we have 300,000 yeah. people who've been in person in our stores working, right. all, working all this time. And we have a high degree of sensitivity to that. But at the same time, a corporate environment is, is a different context and health and safety is, is paramount. So um, everyone else since, I don't know what it's been, probably end of March at this point, maybe April has, has really been remote. So the vast majority of my team is remote and I don't go into the office more than a couple of days a week at this point. So, you know, funny that how we all learn to adapt. I never thought of myself as someone who would, um, enjoy working from home. And now I really, uh, have come to like the, the combination. So, we, we adapt, right? We're, we adapt. And, and I think the trick is to not just survive, but try to figure out how to thrive even through adversity. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yes. What does winning a matrix award mean to you? Look, I've been really lucky in the past few years where the, you know, the industry has really bestowed some really, really generous recognition. And of course I'm smart and humble enough to re realize that I work in large organizations. Those recognitions are a reflection of teamwork. But I, I mean, the matrix, and I'm not just saying this, really, really has special meaning for me because, you know, I reflect back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe more, where I'd be lucky enough to be invited to go 
and sit in that Waldorf Astoria ballroom and see these iconic women get honored. And I, uh, that was sort of like what success looked like to me. That was, that was making it. That was like the big dream. Imagine if one day I could ever win a Matrix Award. And you know what? There are many points where that seemed absolutely impossible, totally elusive. I questioned whether I was managing my career the right way to make something like that possible. So it's just, an, it really is a dream come true for having felt that way for so many years to hit this moment where it, it's actually me and a little bit of shock and disbelief and incredible gratitude. So thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing women in the workplace today? Listen, the past few months and the impact of COVID, one of the ripple effects that has gotten attention, but perhaps not enough, is the undue burden it's, and, and um, gap it's once again exposed um, with regards to women and particularly women who are caregivers, caregivers to children in particular, but caregivers to parents, caregivers in other ways. And there's no question, this is not a matter of my personal opinion. The data unfortunately shows how disproportionately it's impacted women, how many women have left the workforce, setting us back to, I think, something like 1980s levels. So with you know one fell swoop, a lot of progress has been erased. And I think that is um, that can't just be a women's issue. That has to be a people issue. That has to be a you know a general issue of employment employment and equity and wanting the best people and the best conditions to support um, to support total lives. So I, I do worry about that having, you know fought so hard for executive moms for so many years and believing passionately about that. I think um, more broadly, um, just trying to navigate what um, whatever may become the new normal, and it feels like an inappropriate phrase because the circumstances continue to be so dynamic. And I, I do think women are gonna feel that pressure differently in terms of trying to, as I said before, yeah, you know, we want to not just survive, but thrive, but that adaptation when you're not just adapting for you yourself, but often carrying a lot of responsibilities and feeling them sometimes differently than, um, than men do. And, and that, again, I, I'm not, I'm not gender stereotyping. I'm mean, there are differences. That's why I founded executive moms. So I, I just hope that, um, that we will see, um, that progress that we've accomplished as women, as, as leaders, as executives, as major contributors in the workforce, somehow rebalance and catch back up very quickly. And I also hope that as a lot of social justice issues have rightly been given the prominence and attention that they deserve, that we don't lose sight that um, there's still a lot of work to do in a lot of companies with regards to what it means to really create equity. Um, equity for all the reasons why it's good for business as well as good for employees. So, um, that's what I think about. 
That's great. Thank you. I mean, that's literally like how this whole women's herd initiative was kind of, it came out yeah. of this whole situation with the, with the pandemic. So absolutely agree. And we're very, very focused on that. Marissa, thank you so much for your time. You've been listening to Women Heard, presented by New York Women in Communications. I'm your host, Julie hockheiser Ilkovich. Thank you to the amazing team that works on this podcast. Chelsea Orcutt, Elizabeth Roberts, Chrisanne Grizay, Mandy Carr, Shania Anderson, and Alex Fetter, who wrote our original theme music. And thank you to everyone at New York Wiki for all of your support for the show. For more information about Women Heard, go to nywiki.org slash podcast. That's nywici.org slash podcast. Thanks for listening.